As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. Then the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply. So that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a name called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. Then he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them. Pilate spoke to them again, Then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him out into the courtyard of the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole cohort, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him, and they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. The tool we use to find these appointed readings for any day of the year or any particular Sunday is called the Revised Common Lectionary. What it's suggested for today is that we begin to read at the beginning of chapter 14, read all the way through chapter 14, read through chapter 15 to the end through verse 47. One of the commentators I read this week said he tried that. He said it took him 15 minutes just to read the text. So I've made a a little selection out of that larger story for us to focus on, but I think it will give us the idea and help us understand the perspective of what the gospel writers are telling us. The part that Reverend Venable read from chapter 11 in Mark's gospel gives us the name Palm Sunday. This piece, chapters 14 and 15, Give us the name Passion Sunday. Now, in the context of the Bible or of the Gospels, passion comes from a Greek word, pathos or pathos, which means feeling or feeling with or suffering and suffering with. So in the Gospels, we read these stories and call them the Passion of Christ or the Suffering of Christ, and we see that it reveals God's love for us. It reveals to us God's compassion and 
God's care for the human family and for us as individuals of it. It also references, of course, the sacrifice Christ is willing to make on our behalf. I want us to look at this story today, though, and see what it can help us understand and how it can help us grow in our own life of faith, as well as perhaps helping us in terms of how we live out that life of faith. The first thing I want us to notice is that when we look at this story, we find that everyone in this story, everyone, turns against Jesus. All of them. Jesus is Jewish, and these are Jewish religious authorities, and yet they turn Him over for arrest and charge Him with all kinds of things so that the Romans might take Him away. And then the crowd, some of which perhaps were yelling, Hosanna, when He entered Jerusalem, end up also now shouting, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Of course, by the time we get to this portion of the Gospel, the disciples are long gone. They have already run and are in hiding, have deserted and denied Him. And the Romans, represented by Pontius Pilate, also end up abandoning Him and turning Him over to be crucified. My contention is that all misunderstand Him. He is ridden into the city of, city of peace, Jerusalem, on a donkey, which signified in that day that He was coming in peace, that He was making an offer of peace. And yet we heard it in that very first verse we read today that they treat Him as if He's coming and somehow to create another insurrection or a revolt. In that very first verse, as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led Him away, and handed Him over to Pilate. They treat Him as if they expect that He's getting ready to strike in some kind of violent way or start a military coup of some sort, some kind of armed revolt. And at all the signs are that He's coming in peace. So why bind Him? Except for that they misunderstand what He's all about and what His message is. We pick up the narrative and Verse 3, it says, Then the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. And as we have found, as we've been studying this Gospel of Mark throughout this year, so often... Mark has Jesus saying fewer words than the other Gospels, but he describes the action which embodies the teaching that Jesus is sharing with all who will pay attention. And the pattern holds true here. It's the action of Jesus that is the revelation for those who are watching and for us. Jesus does not speak in the rest of this narrative. His willingness to suffer reveals His understanding of God and His self-understanding. And all that He's doing and saying and embodying is the opposite 
of how we normally think of power and influence. The testimony, the revelation is that God suffers with us through all things. That our God and Jesus' God is not one who is remote, just watching, but one who is engaged with us and suffers with us and stands present to us through all things. William Sloan Coffin, the famous preacher at the pinnacle of his career, he's the senior pastor at the Great Riverside Church in New York City. Before that, he's chaplain at Yale University. He speaks and writes prolifically. He became rather controversial with some of the things he said. But he also experienced personal tragedy in his own life. His son, at the age of 24, driving in a terrible storm one night, veers off the highway. The car plunges into Boston Harbor and the boy drowns. Ten days later, after the funeral, but on a Sunday... William Sloan Coffin stood up in his pulpit and said that he wanted to share with them some of his reflections about life and death and suffering and God in light of what has happened to his son. I want to read you a few lines of what he said that day. He says, The one thing that should never be said when someone dies like this is that it is the will of God. Never do we know enough to say that. My own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die. Rather, that when the waves closed over the sinking car, God's heart was the first of all hearts to break. Do you hear what he's saying? Our gospel proclaims that God is with us, that God suffers when we suffer. Later in the same sermon, Coffin reflects again and says, another consolation, of course, will be the learning, which better be good given the price. But it's a fact. Few of us are naturally profound. We have to be forced down. So while trite, it's true what the poet says. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. The passion of Christ or the suffering of Christ reveals that God endures with us, stands with us, suffers with us even in our darkest hour. It is what theologians often call the suffering love of God or the self-giving love of God. We not only see it embodied by Jesus in our passage today, but we hear it explained to His disciples just back in chapter 14 on the last night He's with them. Mark records it like this. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread 
And after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Love of God and love of neighbor compels Jesus to go to Jerusalem and have this confrontation with the religious and political authorities. And He goes with a willingness to sacrifice His body and His life without resistance so that we might understand the nature of the kingdom of God. That we might understand the nature of God's love for us. Jürgen Moltmann is one of the great German theologians who's been writing over the last several decades. He writes about this. I want to read you just a couple of sentences. To give up one's life means to go outside oneself. To love. To expose oneself. And to spend or expend oneself. In this passionate renunciation, one's whole life becomes alive because it makes other life alive. If we live our lives in love, we gain life even though we lose it physically. In the text today, in this story, we see that Jesus is steadfast in the face of the trial and false accusations, in face of the humiliation and the crown of thorns and the flogging. Through it all, He is steadfast and reveals to us the nature of God's love for us. The willingness to risk suffering even unto death has a great power for humans. I would suggest to you that it's the power of revelation and salvation and transformation. Let me see if I can use this book I've read that can help us here. The book is called The Rise of Christianity. It's by Dr. Rodney Stark. He is a history of religion professor, but also very interested in sociological phenomenon. He wants to look at why this little fringe group of Christ followers in Jerusalem can within the span of just a few hundred years become the dominant force within the Roman Empire. And so he looks at all different kinds of things. But in one of the chapters, he points out that there were a couple of plagues that decimated the population across the Roman Empire in the next couple of hundred years after the life and death of Christ. He says that what happens when that started is that the pagans had no good explanation. And the other thing that happened is that if the pagans were able to escape the plague they would leave. But he said the Christians stayed. And they were willing to minister to the sick and dying at the risk of their own lives. And he says he thinks there's three reasons why they stayed. 
I put them in your outline. First, Stark says, they believed Christ had conquered death and there was life after death, so they had nothing to be afraid of even though there was death all around them. But he says it's more than that. Not only did they believe that Christ had conquered death, so they were assured of life after death, but their willingness to suffer was fulfilling their call to follow Christ. And their willingness to suffer and to be in ministry with those who were sick and dying was a powerful witness of the nature of the Christian community and the nature of God's love, even in the face of such devastating experiences of death that were wiping out most of the population. Finally, he says, for them, they understood to die to be akin to martyrdom and therefore was an imitation of Christ. It was a worthy way to die. They were willing to risk it because they understood that Christ had taken the same risk for us, a willingness to suffer even unto death. Stark says this was a revelation and a powerful witness and spoke volumes to those who had not yet heard of this proclamation of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And it showed the power of God to overcome even sickness and death. And it was a living witness of the nature of the love of God alive in individual Christians who were willing to do that kind of ministry. He says these people were witnesses in their living and in their dying. That they changed the way people understood Christianity. They saw the value of every human because Christ had died and suffered for all. That it was a universal message of God's love for each and every one of us and for the entire human family. And he says what happened is that others who were not a part of the Christian community came to understand their own value as a person differently because of the value the Christians bestowed upon them by being willing to care for them even if they were not a relative or a close friend. Stark says it's that revelation, that proclamation, that embodiment of this suffering love that helped change the minds and the faith and the behavior of people across the Roman Empire. Let me give you one other example before you close, before we close. It's a little more contemporary example. The story is about two people who were much in love and were taking a trip together, and they were in Paris riding the train, having a spectacular time. And the train came to a stop, and a woman got on the train. The fellow says she was an older woman, not dressed very nicely, a little portly, and he decided just flat ugly. And he and the one with whom he was in love spoke to each other of their disdain of this woman and how ugly she was and how disgusting that was to them. But being in France, they also spoke Russian, so they spoke to each other as they were saying these kind of things. As the woman was sitting next to them, they were saying it in Russian. 
But then the train came to another stop, and this older woman got up to get off the train. But just before she stepped off, she turned and looked at those two and said in perfect Russian, I wasn't always ugly. And got off the train. Later, the young man became a priest. And he said, and that experience was the shock of revelation of who he was and that he needed to change and that he needed to see more. He needed to see past the surface and he needed to see people differently and to treat them differently than he had ever done so before. This story illustrates for us the depth of God's love that's willing to see each and every one of us and suffer with us even unto death and beyond. Amen.